0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. How are you all doing? Alhamdulillah. Nahmaduhu wa nasalli ula rasulihi kareem billahi So, we were doing Mayasturu min What should be used to cover the private parts? Meaning, in Salah, outside of Salah, how much of a man's body has to be covered and what should be used in order to cover it. And we read the first two Ahadith in which we learned about the fact that if a person wears even one garment, that is sufficient as long as the entire body is covered. But what has been forbidden? The sama style of wearing clothes, which is when a person just wraps the clothes around the body, one garment, a single garment, such that he's not able to to take his arm out. Why is this forbidden? Because as he will try to move, what will happen? Part of his aura will be revealed. And also the fact is that when a person has wrapped clothes so tightly around the body, then yes, there may be a garment covering the body, but still we see that the figure is being exposed. And that is something that is not appropriate. Meaning the clothing should be such that the body is not being exposed through it. And we also learned in the second hadith of the Prophet ﷺ forbade some style of sitting as well as the second one was that a person should sit in one garment in such a way that his legs are perched up. Why? Because then the aura will be exposed and a person will have no idea. Whereas if a person is wearing two garments, meaning one for the lower part of the body and one for the upper part of the body, then can a person sit like that with his legs standing up before him? Can he do that? Yes, he can. But there is another lesson that we learn from this, which is that if the clothing is too tight, then again a woman or a man should not sit in this manner that the legs are you know, drawn up before him. Why? Because then it's not appropriate that the part of the body that should be hidden is exposed. Even if there is a garment covering it, it doesn't seem decent that the body is being exposed. Then the third hadith in this bab, haddathana Ishaq, qala haddathana Ya'qub ibn Ibrahim, qala haddathana ibn Akhi ibn Shihabin, an ammihi, qala akhbarani humayd ibn Abdulrahman ibn Awfin, anna aba hurayrata qala ba'athani abu Bakrin. Abu Huraira radhila wa'anhu, he narrated that Abu Bakr radhila Anhu sent me. When, where, في تِلْكَ الحجتي, In that Hajj, which Hajj? The Hajj that he was talking about. في مؤذنين, amongst the announcers. Who is مؤذن? The one who makes the announcement. So he sent me amongst those who were to make the announcement. When يَوْمَ Nahri On the day of nahr نُؤَذِّنُ That we were all supposed to announce Bimina At Mina. And that لا يحج He will not perform Hajj بعد العام After this year Who? Mushrikun Any Mushrik ولا يطوف And he will not do طواف بالبيت Of the house Meaning of the Kaaba Uryanun Naked قَالَ حُمَيْدُ بْنُ عَبْدُ الرحmani, Humaid bin Abdul Rahman he said ثُمَّ ardafa Then he sent after who Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he sent after who Ali Ali الله anhu because remember that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi sent Abu Bakr radhiyallahu anhu first to make the declaration of baraah inshallah when you will learn surah at-tawbah you will learn the details to make this announcement this was after the conquest that Abu Bakr was sent in order to make all of these announcements that after this year, no one from among the mushrikeen is going to perform the hajj, and that all of the treaties that were between the Muslims and the mushrikeen are now invalid. The details of this are in Surah Tawbah. So anyhow, initially the Prophet sent Abu Bakr but then afterwards he sent Ali to make the announcements. Why do you think so? Why do you think so? Because Ali رضي الله عنه was his relative. The Prophet sallallahu الله عليه relative. And his word would be accepted by the mushrikeen. More than they would accept the word of any other individual, they would accept the word of Ali رضي الله عنه. This is the reason why the Prophet sallallahu الله عليه sent him. فَأَمَرَهُ So he commanded him, you يُؤَذِّنَ That he should make the announcement of بِبَرَاءَةِ Of بَرَاءَةِ What is بَرَاءَة? Declaration of disassociation. Which is referred to in Surah al-Tawbah. Qala Abu Hurairah, Abu Hurairah radhila wa'anhu said, فَأَدْذَنَا مَعَنًا So he made the announcement with us, هُوَ عَلِيٌّ عَلِيَ radhila Anhu في أَهْلِ minan In the people of Mina, يَوْمَ الْنَّهْرِ on the day of Nahur. لا يَحُجُ بَعْدَ الْعَامِي مشْرِكْ That after this year, no mushrik will perform Hajj, وَلَا يَطُوفُ بِالْبَيْلْ بَيْتِ And no naked person will perform the tawaf of the house. So what do we learn in this hadith? That a person must be covered when he is worshipping. No matter what act of worship it is, his body should be covered. If for tawaf, clothing are a requirement, that means for salah, also clothing is a requirement. And also outside of salah, when a person is amongst others, then his awrah should be covered. Because tawaf cannot be done alone. I mean, there's thousands of people over there. So where it is not appropriate to be in that state in tawaf, it's also not appropriate to be in that state before people. This is just like we learned earlier that how it is disliked to be naked when a person is amongst people. Then باب الصلاة بغير رداء in praying without a cloak. What is رداء? A shawl. Okay, so a cloak. So something that is worn on the upper part of the body. So it's basically the upper garment. And obviously this is for who? The men. Because for women it's understood that their body has to be covered. But for men... Can they pray without a shawl? Yes. Meaning that as long as they're wearing even one garment that is covering their their aura as well as their shoulders, that is sufficient. They don't have to wear a separate upper garment in order to cover their shoulders. It is best, but if a person doesn't have that option, then it is permissible. Hadathana Abdul Aziz ibn Abdullah qala hadathani ibn Abi mawali Muhammad ibn al Qala he said, I came upon Jabir bin Abdullah, and he was praying salah in a garment that was به, and he had wrapped it up around himself. So he had basically wrapped his body with what? A single garment. And remember the way in which a man does iltihaf? Do you remember I showed it to you last time? That a man has to put it over his shoulders, one side of it goes under one arm. And the other side of it goes over the opposite shoulder. You understand? It's like tucked in. Okay, it's like tucked in under the arm, in basically the armpit. So it's tucked in so that it doesn't open up easily. So for example, you take a big portion of it, tuck it under the arm so that it stays there, inshaAllah. So, وَهُوَ يُصَلِّي فِي ثَوْبٍ مُلْتَحِفًا بِهِ وَرِدَاؤُهُ مَوْضُوعٌ and his ridā, his shawl, was موضوع. It was just sitting there. فلما انصرفا. Then, when he finished his prayer, قلنا we said Ya أبا عبد O أو Abdullah, عبد to you are praying wa ridāuka and your shawl is موضوع. is just sitting there. Meaning, why don't you have your ridā on your shoulders? Why don't you cover your upper body with your ridā? قال نعم. he said yes. I'm praying like this. أحببت. I wanted. يراني, that he sees me, who al the ignorant ones, mitlukum like you. I wanted that such ignorant people like you should see me. I saw the Prophet salallahu salam. He was praying in this manner. So we have learned this hadith earlier as well. But we see here that one is to teach people through your words, and the other is through the actions. And the thing is that words don't hit people sometimes as as much as the actions do. Because what you hear, sometimes you don't pay attention and you don't listen. But what you see, you notice it. And you cannot forget it. And it bothers you. When somebody says something, you give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they didn't mean this. Maybe they meant something else. But when you see it, you know that's what they believe in. So then you have to question. You have to ask. So this is the reason why he demonstrated to them, he showed to them, you can also pray. In this manner Bab مَا يُذْكَرُ في What has been mentioned Concerning the فَخِذ What is the فَخِذ? The thigh And this is also with regards to a man So the question is That is the thigh of a man awrah Meaning is it something that has to be covered Or is it a part of the body Which if uncovered it's not a problem hmm? This is first of all in the general sense But more specifically in prayer because a man's aurah is what? According to the majority of the scholars, from the navel to the knee. So if a person is wearing an izar in order to cover himself, and let's say that izar is short, so that his knees are being exposed, or part of his thigh is exposed, is that okay? Or is that not okay? There is ikhtilaf in this. This is why Imam Bukhari says, مَا Karuf فِي الفخري. ويروى, and it has been narrated on Ibn Abbasin, from Ibn Abbas, Wajarhad and Jarhad, Muhammad bin Jahshin. All of these three, it has been narrated وسلم, on the authority of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. They narrated from him that Al-Fakhidu Awratun. That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said that the thigh is Aura. What does it mean, Awra? Something that has to be covered. Something that should not be exposed. So this means in Salah and also outside of Salah. But notice over Imam Bukhari does not mention the entire chain. Okay, why? Because it doesn't meet the standard of authenticity according to Imam Bukhari. وَقَالَ أَنَسٌ And Anas رضي anhu He said, حَسَرَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ عَنْ فَخِذِي That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he removed the garment from his thigh. Meaning he uncovered it. And this hadith insha'Allah we will learn in this book. Imam Bukhari says, وَحَدِيثُ أَنَسٍ Asnad," And the hadith of Anas رضي الله عنه is stronger compared to the previous one. وَحَدِيثُ جَرْهَدٍ And the hadith of Jarhad, if you take the wordings, it ahwatu. It is more complete حَتَّى يُخْرَجَ مِنْ اِخْتِلَافِهِمْ In order to resolve the disagreement of the scholars. So this is what Imam Bukhari said. That the hadith of Anas is stronger in chain and the narration of Jarhad, okay, which was mentioned earlier. The same as that of Ibn Abbas. This is more complete. How is it more complete in order to resolve the disagreement of the scholars? The thing is that there are several ahadith which prove very clearly that the thigh of a man is awrah. Okay? But the thing is that the chain is not super authentic. Meaning there is some weakness in it. For example, there is one hadith which is reported by Abu Dawood and Ibn Majah in which Ali he said the messenger of Allah said do not show your thigh and do not look at the thigh of anyone living or dead likewise another hadith Imam Ahmad he reported that the Prophet he once passed by Ma'mar and Ma'mar his thighs were uncovered so the Prophet said O oh Ma'mar cover your thighs for the thigh is awrah and likewise there are many other hadith which say the same thing But there's weakness in them. So Sheikh al-Bani, he said concerning all of these ahadith, that although their isnads are not entirely free of weakness, but the fact is that they strengthen one another. Because there is no narrator among them who may be regarded as suspicious. Rather their weakness has to do with confusion and ambiguity. And also the fact is that there isn't just one narration concerning this topic, but there are many narrations. So when there are many narrations and only slight weakness, then what happens is that the gist, the main message of that hadith is taken as something authentic. You understand? Like for example, there are six narrations, let's say. And they all talk about the same thing. And there's only slight weakness in, let's say, one narrator of each narration, of each chain. Slight weakness of only one narrator then you can't disregard the entire hadith. You can't disregard all of those ahadith. Putting them all together, you see that the message is clear. That there has to be some strength in it. So this is the reason why, although they may have some weakness, but they have to be taken into consideration. وَقَالَ أَبُوْ موسى And Abu Musa رضي الله عنه He said غَطَّ النَّبِي صلى الله عليه وسلم The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم He غَطَّ Meaning he covered رُكْبَتَيْهِ His knees حين دخل عُثْمَان When عُثْمَان رضي الله عنه Entered Remember this hadith? Okay When عُثْمَان entered The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم Covered his knee So what does this mean? That covering the knee is Necessary And obviously what is above the knee That is even more necessary وَقَالَ زَيْدُ بْنُ ثَابِتٍ And زَيْدُ بْنُ ثَابِتْ رضي الله عَنْهُ He said, أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ رَسُولِهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the revelation upon his messenger, meaning the wahi came upon him, وَفَخِذُهُ While his fakhid, meaning while his thigh was على فَخِذِي, was on my thigh. So it became very heavy upon me. حَتَّى خِفْتُ Until I feared أَن That my thigh would be bruised. I feared that my thigh would be bruised. Now, this hadith doesn't talk about the thigh being exposed. So why is this being used as evidence? Because the Prophet thigh was touching somebody else's thigh. And if it was touching even with a barrier in between, Man Bukhari said, that means it's not aura. Because if a part of the body is aura, then you cannot look at it and you cannot touch it. How can you touch it with a barrier in between? Do you see what I mean? Like for example, if somebody's private parts, can they be touched with a barrier in between? No way. So likewise, if the thigh is considered an aura, then you shouldn't be able to touch it even with a barrier in between. The same rule should apply there too. You understand? So this is the reason why some scholars said that it is not awrah So basically, there is ikhtilaf concerning this matter. But Imam Shawqani he said that the thigh should be covered. And only in unusual circumstances it may be exposed, it may be shown. Meaning that if a person doesn't realize or only a little bit of the thigh is exposed. For example, a man is wearing knee-length shorts. They're even below the knee. But let's say he's sitting on the floor, and what happens? As he crosses his legs, a part of his thigh is exposed. He covers it up eventually, but for those few minutes when it's exposed, he shouldn't consider it like a sin. You understand? It shouldn't be considered as something, as a sin. Why? Because there are evidences in which we see that the thigh was slightly exposed. حدثنا يعقوب ibn إبراهيم قال حدثنا إسماعيل ibn عليّة قال حدثنا عبد العزيز بن صهيب عن أنس أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم so this is the narration of Anas رضي الله that was hinted earlier So Anas رضي الله عنه he said that the messenger of Allah sallallahu الله wa sallam he went to Khaybar Ghaza is from Ghazwa. what does that mean expedition okay in which the prophet الله wa participated himself so, Gaza is to go for Razwa. So, in other words, he raided or he attacked what? Khaybar. So, we performed the prayer near it. Which prayer? Salat al The morning prayer. Meaning, which is the morning prayer? Fajr. At Ghalas. Ghalas means dark. Okay? Ghalas means darkness. So, when it was still dark, we performed the morning prayer. So he embarked who? Nabiullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He got onto his mount Warakiba Abu Talha, And Abu Talha He sat behind him Ana Radifu Abu Talha, And I was behind Abu Talha And Ana sallallahu alayhi Was still a child at that time So don't be surprised That if he's sitting behind A companion on the same mount فَأَدْرَ So he caused to run who caused to run? Nabiullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, fi zuqaqi Khaybar in the streets of Khaybar, Meaning he caused his animal to run in the streets of Khaybar. wa inna Rukbati And indeed my knee, my knee, it was latamassu faqhida nabiullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. My knee, it was surely touching the thigh of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because think about it, if somebody is sitting behind someone, then what will happen? What will happen? The knees will touch, okay? Or the knee will touch the thigh. So my knee was touching the thigh of the Prophet ﷺ. ثُمَّ حسر. Then he removed, meaning he lifted, al-izara The lower garment, عنفخذي, From his thigh, حَتَّى until... Inni indeed I anzuru I could see ila biyadi to the whiteness of Fakhidinabiillahi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. I could see the whiteness of the thigh of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and this was while he was sitting on his mount. Falama dhal alqariyat then when he entered the city, meaning Khaybar. He said, "Allahu akbar." Allah is the greatest. Kharibat khaybar. Khaybar is ruined. Inna ida Nazalna bi Indeed, when we descend in the courtyard of a people, fasa al Munzareen, So how evil is the mourning of those people who were warned? Thalathan. And He said it three times. So basically, so far, what do we see in this hadith? That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, when he raided Khaybar, what happened? Before the attack there was an announcement that was made And what did he do in order to do that? He made his animal run in the streets of Khaybar And the rest of the people also came along with him And while this was happening What happened? The knee of Anas was touching the thigh of the Prophet ﷺ And the Prophet ﷺ also lifted the garment So that his thigh was even more exposed Why do you think so? Why? Because have you ever sat on a horse? Have you ever done that? What do you do when you're sitting on a horse? You have to gather up your garments. Have you ever sat on a bike? Yeah, you have. So what happens? If you're wearing a skirt, you wouldn't sit on it. If you're wearing a dress, then you have to gather it up together. Why? So that your legs can move more easily. They have more room. So likewise, the Prophet lifted up his garment and as a result, his thigh got exposed. But we see that this was not his habit. This is something that happened at this occasion and this was an unusual occasion. This is not something that happens every day. And while the animal was being made to run, the Prophet ﷺ was going so quickly through the streets, at that time he lifted up his garment. So this was not something that was usual. This is why some scholars said that this should not be generalized. He said, "Anas said that said that the people came out Ila amalihim for their jobs. Fakalu Muhammadun because it was morning. Remember that they had prayed Fajr still in the dark, and then they entered. It was just morning, and as the morning was approaching, the people of Khaybar was going to their where we all going to their work. So when they saw what was happening, Fakalu. So they said, Muhammadun, Muhammad, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He has come. Qala Abdul Aziz, Abdul Aziz, the narrator, he said, وَقَالَ بَعْضُ ashabina," And some of our companions, they said, وَالْخَمِيسُ And the yani al-jaysh, meaning the army. The people said, Muhammad, وَالْجَيْشُ وَالْخَمِيسُ that, And his army has also come. He has not come alone. Qala, he said, فَأَصَبْنَاهَا عَنْوَةً So we took it by force. What this means is that there was no battle really that took place between the Muslims and the Jews of Khaybar. Instead, what happened? The people of Khaybar, they locked themselves up in their forts. They fortified themselves. There was a siege that was laid. And eventually, the people of Khaybar, they surrendered. So when they surrendered, and there was also a little bit of combat that took place. But, if you think about it, how was it taken? By force. فَأَصَبْنَاهَا anwatan anwa Also means power. Okay, So with their power, they took it. Now, the details of this battle, why it happened, why the Muslims attacked Khaybar. Inshallah, you will study that in Sirah, or you have studied it already, Inshallah. But if you haven't, just to give you a summary or a reminder that the Jews who were exiled from Medina, they went and settled in Khaybar. But when they settled there, what happened? They continued in their conspiracy against the Prophet ﷺ, against the Muslims, and they continued to harm them. How? They would go to the mushrikeen, and and encourage them to attack the muslims so when all such activities were going on constantly the muslims had to do something in order to stop all that because this was dangerous so this is the reason why they were attacked and when they were taken what happened for jumi'a sabiyu then the sabi they were gathered what are sabi sabi are the war captives in particular the women and the children amongst the war captives okay the women and the children amongst the war captives, they are known as the sabi. So for jumi'ah sabi, all of the sabi were gathered. Because the thing is that when there is a battle that takes place, whoever is victorious, what do they do? They take the people of their enemy as captives. And what is done with the captives? If you see throughout the world, throughout history, what has been done with captives? Either they are imprisoned, and then they are a burden on the society, because they have to pay taxes in order to support the prisoners who are... Imprisoned, okay Or what happens that the prisoners, they Like-minded people Are gathered in one place So what do you think is going to happen? Recently 150 prisoners escaped from A prison in Indonesia, I believe There was a riot They set fire on the prison And 150 of them escaped, imagine And they took 15 Policemen or prison workers as hostages So, I mean, this is amazing So the prisoners, like-minded people Criminal minds, you don't gather them them together in one place because either they're going to harm one another or they're going to harm the society more when they come out. And a prison is what? A graveyard of the living people. And the other option is to kill them, but it's not really fair because every single individual is not really a criminal who deserves to be killed. But the fact is that if they're left on their own, if they're set free, then what will happen? What will happen? They will come... An attack again They will come And create disorder again There will be corruption again So this is the reason why Something has to be done About the war captives And before Islam What was the case Whoever got whatever captive Took him as his slave But after Islam What happened That all of the captives Had to be gathered together In one place And then According to the decision Of the leader They were divided up Amongst the people Okay, they were divided amongst the people. And amongst the Sabi the women, they would be taken as slave women, okay, and the children would go along with them. And the thing is that with the women, when they were slaves, they could also be freed and married to. And this is what we see that the Prophet did himself. That the war captive that came in his share, what did he do? He set her free and married her. And this is much better because this way what happens is that when such captives are living in households, in families, first of all, they have a home. And secondly, they're getting talbiyah as well. They're getting good training as well. So there are many wisdom in this, many benefits in this, which, which inshallah can be discussed at another point. Fajumi'a sabyu. And if you wish to hear more detail on this, in the tafsir of the first few verses of, of the fifth juz, okay, of nisa inshallah you can listen to that tafsir and many doubts will be clarified, inshallah. So فَجُمِعُوا السَّبْيُّ فَجَاءَ دِحْيَةُ And دِحْيَة, رَضِي اللهُ عَنْهُ, he came. فَقَالَ So he said, Ya نَبِيَ Allah, O Prophet of Allah, أَعْطِنِي جَارِيَةً Please give me a jariya meaning a slave girl, من a from among the captives. قَالَ So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, Idhab, go ahead, فَخُذْ جَارِيَةً, and take a jariya Meaning go ahead and take a slave woman, take a captive, whichever one you want, go ahead. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم allowed him. Because the thing is that no one is allowed to take anything from the booty by his own will. Even if it's something as small as a pin, something like a shawl, a person cannot take by himself, out of his own will. He has to hand it over to the leader and the leader will divide it amongst the people. So this is the reason why this companion asked the Prophet ﷺ and requested to him that please give me a jariya. فأخذ, so he took صفية, صفية بنت حييين صفية رضي الله عنها He took her At that time she was a Jewish woman فجاء رجل إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. So a man came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال يا نبي الله. He said, O oh, Prophet of Allah أعطيت دحية صفية بنت حيين. You gave دحية صفية بنت حيين. You gave her to him who is she? She is Sayyidata. She is amongst the the leading women of Qurayza and Nadir, of the tribes of Qurayza of and Nadir. Meaning she's she's a woman of high status from amongst the people of, of these two tribes. لا تصلح إلا لك She is not befitting except for you. Meaning only you deserve to have her, not anybody else. Because she was from the descendants of Harun She was Jewish, right? So she was of the descendants of Harun alayhi And her father and uncles were scholars of the Torah. So she belonged to a scholarly family. And she was also of the descendants of a prophet of Allah. So this is why that companion, he insisted that لا Tasluhu إلا لك قال, he said, أدعوه بها. Okay, fine, call. Okay, bring her. فجاء بها So they brought her. فلما نظر إليها النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم so when the Prophet sallallahu saw her, قال, he said, خز جَارِيَةً مِنَ sabi ghayraha. He told Dihiya that take another woman as a slave girl, but not her. qala he said, فَأَعْتَقَهَا النَّبِيُّ صلى الله عليه وسلم. So the Prophet sallallahu he set her free, وَتَزَوَّجَهَا and he also married her. فَقَالَ لَهُ ثَابِتٌ So ثَابِت رَضِلَلَا عَنْهُ He said, ثَابِت, he said, يا أبا حمزة, أبو حمزة, ما أصدَقَهَا What did he give her as her? Sadaq. What is صداق? So what mahr did he give her? Qala, he said, Nafsaha, herself. What does it mean? That her freedom, because she was set free. A'taqaha watazawwajaha. He set her free, and he also married her. Hatta idha kana Until when he was on the way, meaning they were on their way back, what happened? Jahastaha. She adorned her. The word jahaza. in Surat Yusuf, we learn about this word. That, بجهازهم, it is to prepare. So she prepared her fully. Lahu for him. Who prepared her? Um Musulaiman. Um Sulaim who was also on that journey, what did she do? She prepared Safiya meaning she made her into a bride. And then فأهدتها لَهُ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ and then she was sent to the Prophet in the night, meaning she was prepared, all decked up, all adorned, and sent as a bride to the Prophet ﷺ. فَأَصْبَحَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ So the Prophet ﷺ woke up in the morning as a bridegroom. Okay, عروس is bridegroom. فَقَالَ سُحِسَدْ so مَنْ كَانَ عِنْدَهُ شَيْءٌ فَلْيَجِئْ بِهِ Whoever has something, then he should bring it. Meaning anything to eat, then bring it. Why? As waleema. Okay? فَلْيَجِئْ بِهِ وَبَسَطَ نِطَعَنَ and he spread out a nitan. what is Nitan is a leather mat on which people eat so وَبَسَطَ نِطَعَنَ فَجَعَلَ الرَّجُلُ so a man he 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 put he began يَجِئُ he came with بِتَمْرِ with dates so one man he brought dates وَجَعَلَ الرَّجُلُ يَجِئُ بِالسَّمْنِ and another man he brought some fat some ghee. قَالَ he said وَأَحْصِبُهُ قَدْ ذَكَرَ السَّوِيَّةَ and I think Sawiq was also mentioned Meaning a man brought Sawiq And what is Sawiq? Ground Grain Qala fahasuhaysan He said so mix it all up together Blend it all up So that was the walima Of the messenger of Allah Sallallahu alayhi wa Now The reason why Imam Bukhari mentioned this hadith Was to prove that The thigh may be exposed If there is a necessity If there is a need And that Yes it may be awrah But it is not considered and عورة just like the other parts of the body are considered awrah So it's of a lesser degree. Okay? Which means that if it's exposed, if it is touched, then it's not really a big deal. But the rest of the private parts, if they are exposed, that is not appropriate. But there are many things that we learn over here also. Firstly, the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, how he got married in a journey, and how simple that marriage was, and how Walima was also But what do we believe? That the marriage has to be really big and huge and complicated, right? And it has to be announced and everybody has to know. Yes, everybody should know, but the people of Medina did not know that the Prophet ﷺ was coming with a new wife. There were no cell phones at that time. So there was no way of informing the people of Medina that the Prophet ﷺ had married another woman. Nor did he wait to inform them and take their permission and to make all the preparations and then get married. No, he got married that same night. And the next morning was the Walima. Whoever was there was brought, was asked to come to the Walima. And look at the Walima, so simple. So, this is how simple marriage is in our deen. This is how simple it is. But it has been complicated, thus made difficult, and thus made more and more impossible. All the conditions were complete. If all the conditions are met, then that is marriage, and it's accepted. And that is done. This is the ease that is found in the deen. And one more thing about the marriage of the Prophet ﷺ that... Remember that every marriage of his was for a reason, mean there was some benefit behind it. And although people have many objections as to the number of wives he had, but remember that he had only one wife for the longest time. And then when he got married to other wives, it was always at the suggestion of other people. That later on in in Medina, it was that he married many women. And of the benefits of that marriage was that women who didn't have husbands or protection, they got the protection of the Prophet ﷺ. Also we see that through his marriage, he got associated with many tribes. And all those tribes who were associated with the Prophet ﷺ through marriage, they became his in-laws. And it was something very, very inappropriate in the Arab culture to raise your weapons against your in-laws. Or to raise your weapons against your son-in-law. So this way, Islam was also made strong. And more people were inclined towards accepting the religion of Allah. And think about it. Safiyah ad if she became Muslim, she accepted Islam. She was of the leading women of the Jewish tribes. So imagine that the true Islam would be known to the rest of the people through her. How much a woman should wear when praying? Meaning, what's the bare minimum requirement for her? So far we were learning about men. About their thighs and about their shoulders. Now we're learning about the women. What's the bare requirement for her? ikrimatu He said, لَوْ Warat If she can cover جَسَدَهَا her body فِي Even in a single garment, Meaning surely that is enough for her. That is sufficient for her. So if a woman manages to cover her body with a single garment, then that is sufficient. Meaning it is not necessary for a woman to wear two pieces or three pieces or five or seven. Okay? No. Even if she's wearing a single garment and with that she's she manages to cover her body, that is sufficient. Now the question is what is supposed to be covered? Okay, you cover with one garment, but what do you cover? Let's find out from the Hadith. حدَّثَنا Abu قال أخبرَنا شعيبٌ عن الزهري قال أخبرَني عروة أنَّ عائشةَ, عائشة رضيَ laqad عنها قالتْ the Prophet sallallahu he used to الفجر, he used to pray Fajr Salah, Where in the Masjid obviously he would lead other people then they would be present with him. Who? Nisa'un, women. Min al-mu'minati, the believing women. Meaning some women would also come to the masjid in order to pray fajr behind the Prophet ﷺ. But when they would come, how would they come? Mutalafi'atin, ones wrapped up. fi Hinna in their garments. Thumma yarji'na, then they would return ila hinna, to their houses. Ma ya'rifuhunna ahadun, no one would Recognize them Why? Because it was so dark Or because of the way that they had Covered themselves So what do we see here? That a woman in her prayer Should be completely covered متلفعات, Okay Completely covered From head to toe Now When it comes to the face Obviously That has to be exposed But when there are men In close proximity And if a woman generally wears niqab Then she will also cover her face Which is why in in Umrah, in Hajj, when a woman is in in, in the state of ihram, then she is told to not wear the niqab. And what is the niqab? A separate piece of cloth that is worn in order to cover the face. So that should not be worn. However, a woman should use her khimar or whatever that she's wearing in order to cover her face when the men are in front of her. Because this is what we learn from the sahabiyat. When they went for Hajj, and they would have their faces exposed when the men would come on their rides, then what would they do? They would cover themselves up. So this is what a woman has to do in salah as well, that she will not have her face covered. But if a man comes by, and she generally covers her face, then what will she do? She will take her hijab in order to cover it up. When it comes to the hands, they have to be exposed. Some scholars said that no, they have to be covered as well. But the fact is that there is no evidence prohibiting a woman to expose her hands in salah. When it comes to the feet, they have to be covered or not. Some scholars considered a woman's feet to be awra. They said a woman's feet are awra and therefore they obligated her to cover them in prayer. Now, just compare the feet or the face. What is more beautiful? The face. If the face can be exposed, then the scholars said that the feet are more deserving of being exposed if there is a need. So this is why they said that the feet are not awra. Other scholars said that no, feet are not awra. If the face can be exposed, that means the feet can also be exposed. And thus they allowed the feet to be shown. And this opinion, that the feet may be exposed, was the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. And Imam Abu Hanifa, al and Al-Mazani, they were also of the view that it is permissible for a woman to uncover her feet when she is praying. This was the view favored by Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and other scholars as well. Shaykh bin Uthaymin, he said, with regards to the feet of a woman in salah, he said there is no clear evidence on this matter. Hence, Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah was of the view that a free woman's awrah, except what appears of her when she's in her home, namely the face, hands and feet. He said that a free woman is awra. Okay, A free woman is awrah, meaning her entire body is awrah, should be covered, except what appears of her when she's in her home. And what is that? The face, the hands, and the feet. So these three may be exposed, but the rest of the body has to be covered. He said, women at the time of the Prophet used to wear chemises in their homes, and not every woman had two garments. Hence, if menstrual blood got onto her garment, she could wash it and pray in it. The hands and feet are not awra when praying, or with regard to looking. Based on that, there is no solid evidence on this matter. And Sheikh Ibn he said, I follow Shaykh Islam in this regard. This is how we understand it. Because there is no clear evidence that says that the feet have to be covered. Meaning the Prophet ﷺ instructed that. There is one hadith in which we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he said that what is beneath the ankles is in the fire. He said what is beneath the ankles is in the fire. So Umm Salama Anha, when she heard that, she said, but our garments are beneath the ankles. He said that no, this is with regard to the one who does it out of pride so what does it show that the women would wear clothes that were long that would also cover their feet they would wear clothes that were long that would also cover their feet but the thing is that even when you're wearing a long garment when you go into rukur when you go into sajda then will the back of your foot not be exposed it will be it can be so what should a woman do then she should wear garments such that are long okay that do cover the feet if not all at least some of it and when she is praying salah if part of the foot get exposed then la haraj fihi there is no harm in it there is no sin upon her because there is no clear instruction that tells a woman that she must cover her feet and the thing is that how are feet covered? Either you wear socks or you wear long garments. The women at that time, what would they wear? Long garments. It cannot be understood that in that weather, in the kind of clothes that they had, we learned that so many men possess only one izar. Then can you imagine there women who have socks because they have to cover their feet in prayer? So it cannot be imagined that the women would wear socks all the time to cover their feet. What would they wear? Long garments. So this is the reason why we see that some scholars, amongst them being Ibn Taymi, amongst them being in contemporary scholars, Shaykh Ibn Taymin, they all said that there is no harm if the feet get exposed. But it doesn't mean that in your feet being exposed, you expose your ankles as well. Ankles have to be covered. Ankles must be covered. Any other question with regards to a woman's uh, clothing in prayer? Hmm? Is it clear? Because this is the only place where this topic is covered. Many scholars contemporary and previous They have said that the feet should be covered Based on some narrations which mention That only a woman's face and hands May be exposed in prayer But the thing is that The feet are understood That they will be exposed It's like إِلَّا مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا Except for that which is apparent by itself So ankle cannot be exposed Okay, remember Ankle cannot be exposed Your foot may be But your ankles may not be So if let's say you are wearing pants then make sure that they cover your ankles, they come down to the feet. At least they should cover your ankle from the back as well, your heel as well. So that when you go down into Sajda into Rukur, your ankle is not exposed. Again, your sleeves, like for example right now, your sleeves are such that they cover your arms. Okay? Up to your wrist. And your hand is exposed. But sometimes it happens that when you lift up your sleeve, part of it does get exposed. So is that also wrong? It's إِلَّا مَا You have done everything to make sure That your arms are covered But if still Something gets exposed Then a woman is a human being She cannot be expected to wear Three layers, two layers All the time In order to make sure that her arms are covered Because this is creating difficulty upon yourself Making deen difficult upon yourself Because if you make things difficult upon yourselves Then people also snap back right? They react negatively then Then they go farther. You have to see that first of all, what is exposed accidentally, is first of all very little. So for example, part of your arm. And also very briefly. So for example, only when you're lifting up your arms and then immediately as you straighten your arms, your arms are covered. Because if the arms are exposed for a longer period of time, the legs are exposed for a longer period of time, that is not appropriate. Remember the hadith in which the, the women were told to lift up their heads when the men have settled In their sitting positions. Why? Because sometimes, despite your effort to cover yourself, accidents happen. So likewise, you have tried to make sure that your arms are covered. But despite that, let's say, a part of your arm does get exposed for a brief moment. Inshallah, there's no sin in that. As long as you are trying. If a woman is not performing the prayer, okay, and she is in front of her mahram, and she's wearing such clothes in which, uh, let's say before the husband, that the dress is a little tight or the sleeves are short. Is there any sin in that? No, there isn't. But it should not be such that in front of other people like father or or brothers or sisters or mother, you know, such things are worn that the body is being exposed. That either they're too short or to see through or... Exactly. If you feel that your dress is short... And you're wearing a a big shawl in order to cover your arms, and you know that when you're going to go down in ruku, when you're going to get up, it's going to come off. Then, you know, be proactive and wear something else. You know, put an abaya on or something like that in order to cover your body properly, so that in the salah you're not concerned about fixing your hijab constantly. Rather, you can focus on the prayer. You have to see what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. بَابْ إِذَا فِي ثَوْبٍ لَهُ أَعْلَامٌ وَنَّظَرَ إِلَىٰ When a person prays in a garment that has a'lam. What is a'lam? Sign. Okay, so a'lam, signs, meaning patterns. So you have lines, patterns. And he looked at ila at the patterns. Meaning, can he pray first of all in a printed garment? In a garment that has color, that has designs. On it And what if he gets distracted by those designs By those patterns Is it okay then You know one is that the pattern the color is Such that you don't get distracted by it But sometimes it is such that you can't help but look at it So is that okay Okay the thing is that if it does not distract a person Then there is no harm Because that is the hustle. That if it doesn't distract a person there is no harm So for example you are wearing patterned clothes Colorful clothes Or let's say the place where you're praying, that is very patterned, very colorful. So you can pray over there. But, because it cannot be expected that a person is always wearing plain clothes. Or that the Prophet ﷺ and the companions always wore plain clothes without any color on them, without any pattern on them. right? Or that the place where they prayed was always plain. It's not necessary. There will always be some color, some pattern in what you're wearing and the place that you're praying at. But some patterns, some contrasts are more distracting. So what is more distracting should be avoided. Like for example, one is a prayer rug on which there is a design of let's say a mihrab or a masjid or the Kaaba or Masjid al-Nabwi. Okay? The pattern is there. But it is just one color. Okay, You know what I'm talking about, right? And the pattern is there. Or maybe two colors and not that much contrast. And then there are some other prayer rugs which are red and blue and green and yellow. And there are some sparkles as well. And there's things written on the top and things written at the bottom. And when you are praying, you are wondering, is it symmetrical or not? So if it is so distracting, then it should be avoided. How? Put a plain sheet on it. So that you are not distracted by it. حدثنا أحمد بن يونس قال حدثنا إبراهيم بن سعد قال حدثنا إِبْنُ شهاب عن عروة عن عائشة أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى في خَمِيصَةٍ that the prophet he prayed in a خميصة. what is خميسة hmm? like a long garment like a long shirt and لها أعلامٌ it had a pattern on it فنظر إلى أعلامها so he looked at its pattern its design, نظرة, just one glance. He looked at it just once. Then when he finished the prayer, qala He said, اِذْهَبُوا Go بِخَمِيصَةِ هَذِهِ with this garment, with this shirt of mine, إلى أبي جَهْمٍ to Abu جَهْم وأتوني and bring me Bi with the Ambijani of Abu جَهْم and this is another kind of a garment which is basically of rough material, it's also thick. So he said, Bring me that instead from Abu Jahan. Fa innaha, because indeed it, meaning what I'm wearing right now, what Abu Jaham gave me, it alhatni. It distracted me from Ilha. It distracted me an ifan an Salati, it distracted me right now in my prayer. Hisham ibn Uruwata, عن أبيه عن عائشة قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said كنت أنظر He said that I was looking at إلى alamiha to its pattern wa في salati while I was in the prayer فأخاف أن ni. So I was afraid that it might be a fitna for me So what do we see here? That a person may perform the salah in clothes that have design or pattern or color on them because this is what the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم did However if it is too distracting, then a person should avoid it in the future. Okay? Then a person should avoid it in the future. And the Prophet ﷺ said that, take this to Abu Jaham. Why? Because Abu Jaham had given it to him. He had had it made and given to the Prophet ﷺ, But the Prophet ﷺ did not see that it was appropriate. This is the reason why he returned it to Abu Jaham. And... Because Abu Jaham would feel bad, he said, instead bring me the other garment. That does not have much pattern on it, much design on it, so it won't distract me as much. So this is how sensitive the Prophet ﷺ was towards the feelings of other people. But we see that he was a human being. There was pattern, design, he got distracted. But look, he looked at it how many times? Once, نَظْرَةً And what did he do? He got rid of those clothes. So what about if in prayer... Nazratan, we look at the watch, Nazratan is at the toes, Nazratan at the hijab that we're wearing, Nazratan at the abaya that we're wearing, Nazratan, Nazratan, so many Nazra in the salah, where's the khujur? So the thing is that in the prayer, a person should avoid all the things that may distract him or her. Which means that in general also, we should avoid such things. Why? Because you have to pray anytime, anywhere. And if you're wearing clothes that even you are getting distracted by, then what about other people? And what about poor men? So be considerate to yourself, to others, so that you can have khushur in prayer and also other people can have khushur in prayer. This is a taqwa of the Prophet And look at how he said that I'm afraid that it will be a fitna for me. So this shows that if anything seems to become a fitna for you, so what should you do then? Get rid of it. Avoid it. Get away from it. You know, sometimes it's just maybe a watch that you're wearing and you keep looking at it. Keep, you know, appreciating it. And then what happens in salah also we're looking at it. Or a ring maybe, and in ruku also we're looking at it. How does it look? Is it in the center or not? And we keep playing with it. So we have to be very careful. One is that we should not get distracted by these things, but we're human beings. And if you feel that something is a distraction, put it away. In the salah. Allahu A'lam. But Abu Jaham gave this garment to the Prophet ﷺ. So sometimes it happens that somebody gives a gift to you, but you see that it's not suitable for you. You won't be able to use it. Or that you don't see it beneficial for you. So instead of taking it and keeping it as a burden with yourself, what should you do? Return it to them. Let's say that, good, however, it's not useful for me, so maybe you can use it for some other reason. okay? Or you can give it to somebody else and there is no harm in this. Okay. It doesn't mean that you're rejecting somebody's gift. You just want the best for them and for yourself. And just to keep their feelings, keep their heart, what should you do? Take something else instead. So if they've given you two things, keep one and give one back. That we have such feelings when we're praying that we feel that something is distracting us, but we don't pay much attention to it. We say it's okay, doesn't matter. Yeah. Next rakar, next time, or now I'm wearing it, so what can I do? And then we start thinking about other things. So this also shows to us the khushur of the Prophet ﷺ in prayer. How much khushur he had that a pattern, if it distracted him, he did not tolerate it. He did not want it again. This is the kind of khushur that he had in Salah. And this is what we should aim for. That nothing, nothing, not even the pattern on our clothes should be able to distract us. He said, "Take this back and bring me the other garment, which is ambijanibiyah." Bab in salla musallabin tasawir. If a person prays in a garment that is musallab, what is musallab with a salib on it? What is a salib a cross? Au tasawir or pictures, images. Meaning, it's such a garment that has a cross on it or pictures on it. Then halat salatuhu. Does that invalidate his prayer, or is his salah still valid? wama yunha an what is forbidden in that respect concerning this matter what is forbidden now two things are mentioned here musallab tasawir first of all Taslib. and this is obviously the cross okay which is a symbol of christianity and sometimes it may be intentional other times it may be unintentional the thing is that every time you see such a cross then what does it remind you of the christian cross Even though it was unintentional, whoever put it did not intend that, but it reminds you of that. Sometimes there may be such a pattern on the clothes, let's say on the back, all the way from the top to the bottom, and it's literally in the form of a cross. I myself have seen such clothes and refused to take them because they look just like a cross. So it may be intentional, maybe may be unintentional, but we see that something like that should be avoided because as soon as you see it, it reminds you of Another religion. Okay? Reminds you of shirk. And the second thing is tasawir. What are tasawir? Pictures, images. And these images are of two kinds. One is images of things that possess ruh, so living. And other pictures are those of non-living things, that which do not possess any ruh. Now over here, which kind of picture is meant? The first kind, the ruh. Okay? The one that is of a living being. Now, Some scholars, they said that if a person prays in clothes that have such pictures on them of living beings, of a cat, of an alligator, of a puma, then salah is corrupted. It is corrupted. Why? Because he is using clothes which are muharram. He is using clothes which are forbidden to wear. And what is forbidden to use, if a person is using that to pray, because it is invalid, it's as though it doesn't exist. You understand? Because it is invalid, a person is not allowed to wear something like that. It is as though he is not wearing a garment then. Okay? It is as though he is performing the salah without clothes. Okay? So this is the reason why it will corrupt the prayer so much so that salah is invalid. And other scholars, they said that it is permissible to pray in ثَوْبٌ muharram in a forbidden cloth. Clothes that are forbidden to wear generally. And their evidence is that the prohibition of wearing such clothes is not in regards to prayer in specific but in general. So the said that the prohibition is not specific. When the prohibition is not specific, then if a person is in a situation where he has such clothes and he may wear them during his prayer. But the fact is that when something is prohibited, it is prohibited. okay, In general and also in specific. It muharram مُحَرَّم مُطْلَقًا It's absolute prohibition In all times, in all cases, in all situations So this is the reason why they said It is not permissible for a person to wear such clothes in prayer However, they said That if a person is wearing such a garment okay, As one of the garments that he's wearing So let's say he's wearing an upper garment, a lower garment okay, And one of them has an image on it So for example, the shirt has an image of A cat or angry birds or something like that. So they said that he can pray in that. Why? Because the shirt is invalid in that prayer. But he is still wearing something that is covering his or her awrah. So when the awrah is covered, salah is valid. Okay? You will treat the shirt on which there is a picture as non-existent. It's as though the person is not wearing it. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this so that if you see somebody praying in the masjid with such clothes, please don't go to them and tell them, by the way, brother, this is haram and you should not be praying like this. Okay? Or, by the way, sister, this is not permissible and you should not be praying like this. Because if such a person has come to prayer, then know that at least their salah is valid, inshallah. Why? Because it's only one of the garments and not both of them. You understand? Also, one more thing. remember, That when it comes to a picture, an image of a living thing even Don't think that every picture will be considered a surah Because there may be a picture of let's say an elephant But it's not a complete picture of an elephant Okay, Such that there is no eyes on it or no ears on it It looks like an elephant but not really an elephant Likewise, a bird looks like a bird but not really a bird Likewise, a puma looks like a puma, but not really a puma. You understand? So every picture, don't generalize it. And secondly, if it's only one of the garments, especially if it's that garment, which is not covering the aura, but is covering the rest of the body, then that should be okay. Now, generally, outside of salah, can a person wear such clothes that have pictures on them? Pictures of living things? No, they shouldn't. Why? Because if it's not permissible in salah, then it's not permissible outside of Salah also. What about children? What about children? Children can wear. Why? Because Rufi al an, that the pen has been lifted from who? Amongst the three. Okay, amongst the three are also the children. So if a child is wearing such clothes, there's no harm. However, such clothes should be avoided. Why? Why should they be avoided? Clothes that have pictures on them. Hmm? Because, remember the hadith that The house in which there is a picture, in which there is a surah, an image, what happens? The angels don't come there. So if the angels stay so far away from such a house, then you don't want the angels to be far away from your children. Okay? But if, let's say, out of ignorance, you did buy such clothes, or somebody else gifted such clothes, then what do you do with those clothes? For your children. You can put them on, not regularly, but sometimes. Or put them as underclothing and put something else on top. Don't go on wasting wealth, basically. Hmm? Donate if you give it as new to let's say a Muslim, then they they might put it on out of ignorance. Hadatana abu Ma'marin Abdullah ibn Amrin, Kala Haddatana Abdul Wariti, Kala Haddatana Abdul Aziz ibn are an anasin can a kiramun Anasad that Kana Kiramun la Aisheta. Aisha Abdullah she used to have a kiram. What is Qiram? A screen, a curtain. Such a curtain that has pattern on it and it's also thin. So it was a thin curtain, okay, and it was also something like a net, okay, and it was also patterned. So كَانَ قِرَامٌ لِعَائِشَتِهَا سَتَرَتْ بِهِ جَانِبَ بَيْتِهَا with which she had covered the side of her house. فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ ﷺ so the Prophet said to her أَمِيطِي عَنْ نَقِرَامِكِ هَذَا أَمِيطِي remove this. Remove Anna from us قِرَامَكِ Your curtain هَذَا this one Remove this curtain of yours From us Meaning from our sight I don't want to see this again فَإِنَّهُ لَا تَزَالُ For indeed it Keeps تَصَوِّرُهُ Its pictures They keep تَعْرِضُ Appearing في صلاتي In my prayer تَعْرِضُ From عَرْض To be present right. So they keep presenting mean they keep coming up In front of my eyes While I'm praying because sometimes what happens, if you see something once, then that image stays in your head. And you close your eyes and still you can see it. You open your eyes, still you can see it. So he said that this pattern, these pictures on it, I don't want to see them again because they keep distracting me in my prayer. Again, this tells us about the khushur of the Prophet in prayer. And that if there are such images, whether on curtains or on bed sheets or on clothes, they must definitely be avoided. Because think about it, you want angels to come to your house and you want angels to be close to you and your children and your loved ones. So let's keep these images away. Also somebody once told me, I don't know how correct this is, that shayateen, okay, that shayateen, when they intend to harm someone, they come because of the presence of such pictures within a household or within a place or on the clothes of someone. So the jinn, they come because these pictures almost attract them. These pictures almost attract them. Because think about it, if the angels are not there, then who's going to come? Who's going to come? Shaitan is going to come. I mean, stuffed animals, dolls, such things, play with them and then put them away. Okay? Likewise, if there are pictures on something, cover it. Let's say a book. Books have pictures on them all the time. So just cover the pictures, let's say with a post-it, or put them away. I remember as kids, we had lots of dolls and stuffed toys and all such things. And we had a shelf Okay, On which all the toys had to go And we would put them over there And we would cover it with a sheet at night This was something that was part of bedtime routine In childhood So this is something that should be practiced By all children Let alone birds or animals People also print pictures of human beings Of uh, let's say a superstar Or a singer or whoever Sometimes even themselves or their family members Printed on a shirt And that's what they wear So this should be avoided If it's covered, it's okay But it should not be exposed. And like I said, if it's one of the garments, okay, especially the upper one, or let's say socks, then it should be okay. If there's a picture of something and you scratch out the eyes or you remove the ears or something like that, that's also okay. okay. Like I said, it's not a complete picture. Hmm? It's only a depiction, but not a complete figure. So that should be okay. No, obviously you can't have a 3D image on it. But if it's a fish, okay, with an eye on it and the fins on it, that's not appropriate. I'm talking about, let's say, there is an elephant but the eye is not there or an alligator but the eye is not there. It looks like it but it's not complete. That's a different story. So for example, just a shadow or an image of something but not in detail. That's also acceptable. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta Nastaqfiruka wa natubu ilayka Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh